Hi, this is Adam Carroll, host of the Build a Bigger Life podcast. In speaking and traveling all over the world, I meet some of the most interesting people. When I meet someone who embodies what it means to me to be the architect of their own life, I invite them to be on the show. The interview you're about to hear is one of these people, someone who's choosing life over lifestyle, pursuing more of what they love to do and less of what they have to do. The blueprint to get you doing more of what you love is available for download at buildabiggerlife.com. Now, on to the interview. Hey, Life Architects, Adam Carroll here with another episode of the Build a Bigger Life podcast. I'm so glad you're here with me today, and I'm excited for you to hear this incredible story of love and loss and resiliency and celebration. My guest today is Ashley Buggy, and the reason I asked Ashley to come on the show is she experienced one of the greatest losses that any of us could imagine happening, and yet her life is filled with an immense amount of joy. The love of her life, her husband Brian, a dedicated serviceman in the Navy, passed away during a scuba diving training. Ashley and Brian had two kids already and were six months pregnant with their third when the unthinkable happened. Ashley's way of being is what inspires me most, and I know that you'll learn a great deal from what she went through and how she's viewing life today. I would say more, but the interview totally speaks for itself. I am super excited to have my next guest on the Build a Bigger Life podcast. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I've been very excited to interview you because you have a very uh, unique story. And um, there's there's a little bit of sadness, but a whole lot of celebration behind your story too, which yeah. we'll talk about as we get into it. Um, Ash, you know, the first question that I ask of every guest, what do you love about your life right now? Oh my gosh. Uh, in this moment, I love that I have an iced Americano in my hand, my Good. reliable iced Americano. Uh, bigger picture, I love that I am building and living my dream life right now. I really am, despite... Everything I've been through that we'll talk about here shortly, yeah. this is the life I want to be living and I am doing it my way. Yeah, it's amazing. You are like the picture of resilience in my mind. Um, dare I say badassery in everything that you're <laughs> doing and going after. Um, you've got more than one book published in the last uh, year. You've got a documentary that just came out. You've got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and so I want to talk about all those and celebrate all those. I also want to set the stage for my listeners about uh, what you've gone through in the last couple of years and what life has been like for Ashley. And um, I think that this show really is about resilience and overcoming adversity um, and also celebrating uh, you know, people in our life and the wins that we have, as well as the losses. So take us back a couple of years now at, at what you went through. Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, two years and two days ago, uh, I was also living my dream life in Honolulu, Hawaii with my husband, my two kids, ages one and three, uh, and I was six months pregnant. My husband was an officer in the U.S. Navy. Um, he had just sailed our sailboat over from Washington. We lived our lives sailing and scuba diving and at the beach and, you know, just as a family, having adventures, traveling world together. Honestly, it was, if I could paint myself a picture of how I wanted to live my life, 
that was it. And um, my husband, I was six months pregnant at the time. So uh, my husband was in a scuba diving class. I couldn't participate. Uh, He went diving for the day and I got a call um, maybe two hours after he had left the house that um, there had been an accident on his dive boat. The manager called me in a a frenzy, really. Um, My one and three-year-old sitting next to me on the couch and said, where are you? We're coming to get you. There's been an accident on your husband's dive boat. Um, You know, as a diver myself, I know that either the accident is severe, like he's, he's gone, something happened with his air and he's not going to be alive anymore. Or, um, maybe he got run over by the boat and he's going to be missing a limb, or maybe he's got the bends or, you know, every scenario is running through my head of what, what could have happened. Um, and they didn't have any answers for me. So I was asking, you know, what happened? Is he alive? What's going on? They didn't know we're coming to get you. They came and picked me up, brought me to the ER, I ran inside, leaving my one and three-year-old in the car, six months pregnant, ran inside. Um, and about 20 minutes later, I found out that he did not make it. He had died uh, in the waters in that scuba diving accident. Um, so they brought me back to see him and I got to spend an hour with him, honestly, trying to bring him back myself, trying to warm him up, trying to bring myself out of this nightmare, not believing that it was real or true or that it was possible to be six months pregnant with these young kids and find out my husband's not going to be coming home to us. Um, so yeah, that was two years and two days ago, uh, now, and it's been an emotional roller coaster since then. (laughs) I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And I, I want to talk a little bit about Brian because between our conversations, I feel like I've gotten to know him a little bit more. Um, he was a guy who, who loved life, had no, uh, as you called it, he had no bucket list. Yeah. Talk about him a little bit in that respect. Yeah, that's really him through and through. He was an adventurer, an explorer, um, a family guy, just kind of an introvert, like an extroverted introvert. Like he would call himself an introvert, but then you'd get him comfortable and he'd be like the life of the party. And you're like, who are you trying to keep here? Like (laughs) dad jokes to the max, like just this really fun, funny, handsome, just incredible adventurous man just got these ideas in his head. And instead of just being like, God, I wish I could do this or, Oh, someday I'd, I'd be cool to do this. He'd say, I want to, I want to sail our boat to Hawaii. Do you think I could do that? Absolutely. Let's, let's figure this out. Let's make this happen. So he'd come up with these ideas and then he would execute them. And it was just such a unique characteristic in somebody. And I'm very similar. And so to find somebody that's like me, that's not like, woman, you're crazy for doing these things, but instead like, that's awesome. Let's be a part of this together. Let's like push and encourage and inspire each other to go further and more and more. That's, that's just how we were as a couple and in individuals. And he was just a really, really cool guy, really funny, really fun, a really yeah. good dad. Just, just, yeah. Awesome. When you, um, when, when you first met, did you know there was this kinship and adventuring? No, no, he was not like that when he first met. Uh, I was 20, he was 21. And he was like this 
even more like introverted, shy guy. He had these like long black swoopy bangs. He was the singer of this <laughs> metal band in Portland, Oregon. He oh, it's so stereotypical. <laughs> yes, 100%. He lived in the attic of my big brother's best friend's house. Of course he my did. My brother had left for the military with like, implicit instructions to his friend, like, don't talk to my sister. And then sure enough, as soon as he gone, he was gone. I was like, Oh, Hey guys, (laughs) how are you? (laughs) And, uh, yeah, Ryan was just really sweet and like just a really, really sweet, nice kind of quiet guy. And, um, we ended up being friends for like a year and then we ended up dating for just a short period of time. And, at that point, he'd cut his hair, cut his long black hair and lost some weight. And he was like, I'm going to join the military. Um, you know, let's, we could get married. We could be a military family. We'll move around. We'll have a bunch of babies. And I was like, oh God, no, you're crazy. Like <laughs> I'm 20 years old. I don't want, I don't want anything to do with any of that. And so we broke up. We went separate ways. Um, and then eight years later, life circumstances happened and brought us back together. And we, he came down to Portland actually, after talking for like a few hours, he ended up driving to Portland the next week. And the second we saw each other, it was like, no time had passed. Just, he was still this, the sweetest guy that I remember from when I was 19, 20 years old, but now he was a man and more established and had this like sense of adventure. He had done some traveling. He had done some growing up and I had done the same. And we were both like, oh, this is the real deal. This is what love should feel like. This is what mm-hmm. a relationship should be like. And uh, yeah, we were married 10 months, 10 months later. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys, uh, you love to travel together, right? Yes. Yeah. What places did you see together? Ooh, we saw, we learned to dive together in Mexico. We got certified in Mexico. We visited Fiji, Australia, uh, Canada, probably more. I've done a ton of traveling with him, without him, with the kids, without the kids. I think those are the, the big ones that we visited together. Yeah. And then throughout the United States. I'm sure there's more I'm forgetting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so the the last two years mm-hmm. obviously have been a, a shift for you. Yeah. And I have to imagine, you know, I can only imagine, any of us can only imagine what that's like. But how do you go from finding out and living in Hawaii to all of the changes and decisions that you have to make? What what kind of state were you in and how did you deal with that? Yeah. um, Honestly, that first, I'll say day, but first weeks and months, I was in denial. I was in like this, this fog, this haze, like I had had all throughout all of my pregnancies. I had just had these most vivid nightmares and I'd wake up crying and turn over to Brian and be like, Oh my God, you know, you cheated on me in my dream. And he'd be like, I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> I didn't, but I'm sorry. You know, and I would just have like these crazy realistic nightmares. And so that first day, I just kept being like, I just need to wake up. Like I was like, this, there's no way that this is real. And I just need to wake up and I need to snap out of this. And I know I'm going to open my eyes and turn over and there's going to be Brian in bed apologizing for whatever role he played in my nightmare. And I just didn't believe that it was real. And I went through the motions and in my head, it was like, 
I'm telling my kids their dad has died, that he drank too much water and was in a scuba diving accident and now he's going to be diving forever. And I could hear myself saying these words and I could feel my children in my lap telling them this, but I didn't believe that it was actually happening. Later that night, I talked to the organ donation people in Hawaii and consented to the retrieval of his skin and his bones and his tissue. And even if I was having that conversation, I was like, how do I know these words? Like, how do I know in this dream that that's what these people would say? And it was just this really strange, like back and forth of this is so real, but I know it's not real, but it's so real. And it took, you know, probably a couple of days, everyone arriving on the island, you know, just crying in bed, my kids next to me asking more and more questions like, you know, can we FaceTime dad now? Like, what does forever mean? Like, okay, I know he's scuba diving forever, but when can he come home? Like, I want to show him my new train set or, you know, I want to, I want to give him a kiss. I want to tell him I love him. And as those conversations went on and on, I was like, shit, this is, I think this is, might be real. Like this might not be a nightmare. And if that's the case, what do I do? Like, I can't live through this. Like I can't live being pregnant with a one and three-year-old like Hudson's birthday, his second birthday is coming up. Now they want me to plan a funeral. Like I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. I refuse to do this. If this is real, if Brian has really died, like I'm, I can't live. Like Brian was my literal other half. Like we had been through so much together. We had grown together. We had just, we were best. He wasn't just my husband. He was my best friend. He was everything to me. And we knew we had this just incredible, unique relationship and marriage. We knew relationships like that just don't exist out there. And what we had was special. And I just really did not believe that if at some point this came to be real and reality that I would be able to live through it. And, you know, through all of this, now people are coming at me, the military's knocking on my door in their white uniforms, giving me the official announcement and my family is arriving and people are having to start making arrangements and I'm having to decide if I want to have him cremated or buried. Am I going to stay on the island and have my baby? If I'm not, I've got four weeks to get off because now because of the stress, I'm a high risk pregnancy and I can't fly if I don't leave the island. (laughs) And if I'm leaving the island, where do I go? And my home is here in Hawaii. We're a military family. We don't have a home base somewhere. So it was just so much going on. So many like questions that needed to be answered, which anybody that's experienced loss of a loved one and has had to go through that process understands it's unexpected and it's happening at once. For me, it was complicated by the fact that we were in the middle of the ocean away from everybody. I was pregnant. I had a one and a three-year-old and just a lot of stuff going on. And you know, to move the story forward, I did decide to move off the island. Um, I decided to move to Boise, Idaho to live with his sister and her family and to have my baby there. Um, and from the day he died to the day we left the island, packed up the house and moved off the island was four weeks. Uh, and those were the worst, for lack of a better term, worst weeks 
days, moments of my entire life. I was suicidal. I laid in bed holding a bottle of sleeping pills thinking, okay, like this is it. Like I really can't do this. I don't want to do this. I can't bring a baby into this world. I can't take care of myself. How am I supposed to take care of my two kids and now a baby? Like the emotions of bringing a newborn are supposed to be happy and exciting. And I don't have any of that. I can't, I can't do this. Um, and it, it was just the darkest of the dark places that you can imagine somebody being in. Um, and it was touch and go there for a little while, but thankfully, you know, I gave, like I've talked to you about before, I gave myself just these minuscule goals of today. I'm, I'm not going to commit suicide today. I'm, I'm going to go walk down the hall and I'm going to look at my kids and see that they're sleeping and I can't do this to them. I can't let their story be my dad died in a diving accident. And a month later, my mom committed suicide. That was like the worst possible thing that I could imagine for my kids. And so I gave myself this goal of, okay, not tonight, maybe tomorrow, but not tonight. And then tomorrow would come. And I said, okay, I, I reached that goal of not doing that. So today, my goal is to get out of bed and to take a shower. And that day, that was my biggest goal was to take a shower or to get dressed or to hug my children or to go to the mailbox or just ridiculous things. But the process of setting a goal and feeling myself accomplishment, accomplish it really gave me just these tiny little bits of confidence that I could feel myself like, okay, if I reach that goal, maybe today I could eat. Maybe tomorrow I could actually go to the doctor and find out what's happening with this baby. Like, is it still alive inside of me? I don't even know because I, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to see it. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm about to give birth without him here. Um, and so the, the small goals did finally accumulate enough for me to go to the doctor and for the, them to say like, your body is shutting down, you know, your, your liver's shutting down, your kidneys are shutting down. We need to get this baby out of you. Uh, and then that eventually became my goal of I need to have this baby. And I did five weeks early, but she arrived healthy, happy, who a very, in very Boise. emotional birth. <laughs> in Boise, right? In, in Boise. Boise. Yeah. yeah. Surrounded and, by whom? Um, Brian's sister, Nikki. She didn't leave my side. From the day she arrived in Hawaii, she didn't leave my side, thankfully. She stuck by me from that moment until I gave birth to Addie. Um, and then until I decided I didn't want to live in Boise and <laughs> moved away, which was a, a gut wrenching decision to leave her and to leave Brian's mom and stepdad. Mm -hmm. But that was part of the goal setting process too, was Boise is no offense, Boise, but not my cup of tea yeah. at all. And thankfully I knew that enough about myself to know like, you know, okay, I've reached these goals now I need to set this goal of how and where can I raise these kids in a place that I'm comfortable in, that feels like home, that I would be able to, to have the confidence to do this. And for me, it's, it's the Pacific Northwest. This is where Brian and I met. This is where my friends live and this is what feels like home to me. And so, yeah, yeah. after um, uh, two months after Addie was born, I packed up the kids again, all three of them this time, and we moved here. It's amazing. You, yeah. um, you and I have talked about this a little bit, Ashley, but I, <clears throat> I want to bring it up on the interview to have you talk through it with, with the listeners. 
um, there were a couple of things that allowed you to to make it through this and, and really demonstrate the strength that you have today. One of those was those little goals and yeah. achieving everything day by day. You also talked about asking for help mm-hmm. and talk to us a little bit about realizing that it's okay to ask for help and who showed up. I know you've got a couple of really interesting stories about who <laughs> showed up when you ask for help. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure a lot of people can relate that asking for help is a really hard thing to do. Uh, like when you are kind of on your own, especially those that don't live near family or haven't like had a lot of people helping you with, you know, raise your kids or do this or do that. It's hard to ask for help because you're so used to being independent. You're so used to doing things on your own. And some of us are just really stubborn and don't <laughs> want to admit that that you need help. And uh, I am one of those. And so, uh, I mean, honestly, the biggest, the, the hardest and biggest part of that was realizing that I did need help. And it wasn't even just asking for help. It was, it was admitting that I needed it and admitting that to myself. And so, yeah, before I even left the island, Nikki offered, uh, you know, to let us come stay there. And immediately, she, as soon as she was like, just come live with us. We'll figure it out. You know, my immediate reaction was, no, I'll figure this out. I'll figure out how I can make this work and how I can do it. Uh, and Because that house was how many people? Yeah. Uh, it was a four-bedroom house. And it was, once we got there, it was three adults, four children, and a newborn. So five children and three dogs. It, it was a little cramped. There's plenty I, of room. <laughs> Not to mention my kids had just gone through an incredible amount of trauma. And so we had two bedrooms between us and my bedroom suddenly became my bedroom plus two children, plus a pack and play with a baby and my dog. So, you know, just four people and a dog living in one bedroom. No, no big deal. Yeah. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So yeah, asking, admitting I needed the help, admitting I couldn't find a place to go live by myself with those kids and admitting like, yes, Nikki, I really do need your help. Thank you. Like, thank you. You don't know what this means to me, but thank you for offering and insisting that I needed that. So that was like the first, the first wave of acknowledging that I was going to need help through this process. Um, And then, you know, everybody that came to the Island that helped me plan the funeral that helped do all of these things. Once I got to Boise, it was people that were bringing, you know, the traditional casserole people were showing up on the doorstep from Nikki's church with casseroles. And I was like, this is a real thing. Like <laughs> people really do bring casseroles. To were funerals. they Lutherans? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I don't know. <laughs> um, but you know, just unexpected places, people yeah. put together a GoFundMe for my family. People mm. realized at some point that all of the baby stuff that we had had ready for this baby I was pregnant with, was in Hawaii and was in transit and I was about to give birth. So at some point someone was like, she doesn't have any baby stuff. She's about to have a baby and has zero baby stuff. So people started sending, like someone put a registry together and sent boxes of diapers and clothes and a pack and play. And wow, I mean, just the most unexpected things. Um, I know I told you the story when we moved here to the Northwest, I bought a house here and I put on Facebook, you know, Hey, everyone in the Northwest, I'm going to be moving back and I want to get my house set up before the kids show up. 
if anyone's available, like, please, can you just come help lift boxes or unload stuff or whatever, you know, whatever, just come give me a hug. Honestly, this is an emotional experience. And I had people that I have not seen since middle school show up and I'm old now. So that was, that was a long time ago. Michelle. <laughs> and uh, two people really stick out to me as showing up. One was a girl that I, I haven't seen since high school. She showed up. I didn't even know she was at my house. I think I came upstairs at one point and I saw her there and she was unpacking my linen closet, like taking my towels out and putting in my linen closet. And I was like, do I know, did we go to high school together? Oh like, my oh my God, thank you for touching my sheets and towels. Like, this is incredible. Just yeah. out, like mind blowing. And then another one I went to middle school with, uh, she shows up knocks on the door and I open the door and she's got this giant, giant mirror in her hands. And I was like, Barbara, <laughs> she's like, hi, uh, I brought a mirror for you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Th- thank you for this mirror. She's like, no problem. And I went back and I was kind of doing some stuff. And then all of a sudden I hear this She's putting the mirror up for she's you. She's putting the mirror. I go downstairs and she's like, I thought it would look good here, like right in my entryway. Thankfully, it was a beautiful mirror and it does match my entryway. But yeah, yeah, just, you know, Barbara from middle school shows up with a giant mirror and a hammer and is <laughs> hammering this mirror in my entryway. And just, I mean, who gets that experience though? And yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful, so appreciative. But I know that if I had not been like, you guys, I need my tribe. I need your help. I, I don't care. I haven't seen you in 25 years. Yeah. Like there's potential. I, I teased you in middle school. Like let's squash it. Please come hang this mirror for me. Like it was just the yeah. most incredible, incredible thing really. And it, honestly, that's kind of changed my outlook on not how independent I am. I'm certainly like still stubborn and independent, but my willingness to admit when I need help and recognize the value in what other people bring to the table. And it's not yeah. even just what I need. It's, it makes you feel good to provide help to somebody that needs it. It gives you a sense of, you know, we came together to make this happen. And I'm, I'm obviously the grateful recipient of it, but it's pretty amazing to see my community from my entire life came together to make this experience happened for me and my kids. And I'm, it, it's amazing. It's so awesome. It, it um, underscores what my dad has always said to me. He said, you know, receiving other people's generosity allows the loop to be closed for them too. Yeah. But people do want to give. Mm-hmm. And if we're not willing to accept it, then it, it just leaves this open loop that feels kind of weird for yeah. the person who's offering. So how, how cool that yes. you had this tribe of people surround you for that time. Yeah. How about, how about now, Ash? Is it still weird for you to ask? Or are you good asking for help? Are you even better at asking for help now? <laughs> um, somewhere in the middle, I think, if that's possible. I'm. I recognize the value in asking for help now, but I'm. I still have that inner like, I'll do it myself, like person. Yeah. You know, I just. Yeah. I like to push myself, and I. You know, I like to be the one that helps others. I'm a single mom of three kids. Like I'm always on of like, let me figure out what you need before you even need it, you know? And uh, I don't know, kind of a weird conundrum. I've been in, in in the, I desperately need help. And now I'm kind of shifting out of that into, I desperately want to give back and help other people. Yeah. 
such an amazing place for you to be just two years in. And, and I want to acknowledge you for that. Um, you also talked about, in addition to asking for help, setting goals, um, one of the ways that, that you found solace or, or some, uh, some healing is in pursuing passions. Yes. And so I want to talk about the trip that you took with your kids and, and what an amazing experience it was for you and for them and, and just to heal while you went out on that. So tell us about how the trip came about, what it was all about, where you went, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so while I was still in Boise and trying to figure out, really, it was, it was a mission of building my confidence back up. It was, <clears throat> I'd always, I've always been this like overly confident person. <laughs> um, I just, I assume that I can do anything I want and anything I put my mind to, I figure out a way to make it happen. That's just kind of always been my personality. But when I lost Brian, I lost that part of me. I, I truly was like, I don't know how to breathe without, without my husband here, which is not rational. Like obviously I'd lived my entire life before he and I got together, but he had been, you know, such a part of my life and my family and my best friend and all of these components of my life were wrapped up in our relationship and him as a person. And I got a lot of my confidence in having him as my partner. And I lost all of that so unexpectedly. And so with that, I lost a lot of my confidence. And so all of these steps that I was doing and trying to figure out how to move forward were really just steps in trying to build my confidence back up. And travel had always been a part of my life, of our life as a, as a couple, and of the kids' lives too. We, we had traveled the world really with the kids. They, they've been to 13 countries at this point. Wow. Um, and so as I'm, as I'm trying to figure out what steps and goals I can set and figuring out how, how I could do this now with three young kids in tow, it kind of was like, if I can't travel, I don't, I don't want to be here. Like travel is my biggest passion. It's, it's what I want to do. It's how I want to live. It's how I want to raise my kids. And so as I'm trying to build that back up, I thought I need, I need to plan a trip. I need something big enough and exciting enough that gets me excited about something in the future. And I know as long as I plan it far enough ahead that it'll keep me distracted and it'll give me ways to, to buy my time until I get to a place, basically fake it till I make it, get to a place where I feel like I can do this. And, um, so it, it just kind of came to me like, all right, what can I do? That's big enough and crazy enough, but safe enough with a less than one-year-old, three-year-old and five-year-old. Um, but that will still feel like I'm doing something. And so I just kind of started planning and I thought, you know, Africa, I, I love Africa. I've been there before. Brian had been there. We both wanted to get back. I really wanted to take my kids around and show them all the different countries. Um, that was kind of my first thought. And then I kind of shifted thoughts when I thought of ease of traveling with the kids and thought, you know, I've, I've traveled throughout Europe. I know it's easy to travel around, I, you know there's, there's hurdles there, but I can figure them out. And uh, so I just started planning and soon it became a two month long trip. Um, originally through seven countries of Europe with all three kids and two of my best friends. 
Um, and yeah, we, we executed it. <laughs> I want, I want to, I want to set the stage though. This is <clears throat> three adults, three kids, one backpack each, correct? Per adult. So each per adult. adult had one backpack for our stuff and one of the children's stuff. So I want you, the listener, to put yourself in the shoes of someone who is taking in not quite one, three and four, three and five. Uh, not quite one, not quite three and, or sorry. Yeah, basically not quite one, not quite three and not quite five. Oh my goodness. With a limited amount of stuff. Yeah. And let's go blaze trails across Europe for two months. Yeah. So this, this is what I find really amazing about your story is in the midst of dealing with adversity and emotional pressure and healing and all of that, you decided to like put yourself through the eye of the needle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And what I love about your story is I think it shows this amazing amount of resilience and, um, kind of like, no, I am going to go do this to prove to myself that I am who I say I am or that I can, I can be the person that I was with Brian and that, you know, showing your kids it's possible and all of those things, which is amazing. Um, clearly you had some hiccups because no European vacation happens without hiccups. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What happened? Um, Oh gosh, let's clear our schedule. We can talk about all that <laughs> happened. You know, the, it really was just like that. You know, everyone, I did have a lot of, we'll call them haters, a lot of naysayers that were like, the kids are too young. Uh, you know, every excuse you really hear, like you can't travel with kids like that. They need stability. The kids are too young. What if something happens? It's dangerous there. I mean, uh-huh. Everything that I've ever heard traveling with my kids, I heard again. But in addition, now it was, you're grieving. This is crazy. Like, this isn't how you grieve. What are you doing? Like, just wait a year. Thankfully, I didn't listen to any of any of those people because if I had waited a year, we would not be doing this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it, it was it was very much like, I know that this is crazy. I know that most people probably would not do this. But I also know that I'm not most people and that this is my one life to live. And I want to teach my kids that even when there's something hard or scary or challenging, that doesn't mean you just like buckle up and succumb to it. You say, Uh okay, this is going to be hard, but I also know that this is going to be worth it. And this is how I'm going to make it happen. And I can't just tell my kids that I need to show them that. And I need to give them these experiences that they have to face alongside me that we figure out how to do it together. And our one day one was, (laughs) we got that, we got that lesson. Uh, We took an overnight flight from New York to Amsterdam. So the Netherlands was our first stop and we land in the Netherlands. um, (laughs) And to backstory a little bit, we flew out on Brian's birthday, uh, which was the first birthday since we had lost him that we'd had to celebrate. And, um, so we were, I was already kind of emotional. You know, we, we were heading out on this two month trip. Like, do I have everything? Addie's going to be learned to walking. Do I have shoes for her? We're going to be hitting hundred degree temperatures and snow and like, you know, medicine, buying formula for her and diapers. And oh my goodness, I'm like trying to think two months ahead for kids who are hitting these 
childhood milestones in the process and what country am I going to be in? Like, does Poland have the right formula? <laughs> you know, there's a, a lot of thought that had to go into this. I would not have even considered that. Yeah. A lot of people probably wouldn't. Uh, and so we get to, to Amsterdam, get off the plane and go through customs, go to get our baggage and are waiting, waiting, waiting. All these people are sitting around the thing, waiting for their luggage. Um, you know, some, some speak English there, but it's mostly Dutch. And so people around us are talking and we're like, what are they saying? They, they don't look happy right now. Like, what are they saying? And eventually we went up to the counter and, you know, we were like, where's our luggage? And they said, oh, it's lost. Uh, it didn't make it off the plane or we can't find it. You need to fill out this form and we'll contact you and bring it to you when we find it. We were like, what the, how long is that going to take? Cause we're only here 10 days and then we're moving on to another country. And then for the next two months, and that right. has all of these all things. Of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It has, yeah, we each had a backpack and we each had, each of the kids had a car seat. That's all we brought with us and um, for two months. And so we were like, well, you're going to need to find that because we, we really do need that. (laughs) And so we sat there for probably two hours and then they announced, you know, actually we have, we found one more crate. Um, We'll bring it out to you guys in a little bit. So we waited one more hour. And during that hour, I got on the phone and I was like, all right, I'm going to call our shuttle and tell them, you know, we're here, but to pick us up in an hour. And I called the shuttle service and was like, you know, this is my reservation number. We're here. It'll be an hour until we're ready for pickup. And she's, you know, says, oh, well, we have you down here for tomorrow. And I was like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe I don't understand your accent, but um, I have a reservation for today. And she's like, oh no, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow is your reservation. And I thought, no, it's for, for this day. And then I realized in that moment, oh my God, like what a newbie move. Like I booked this for the wrong day with the red eye flight, the time change, the date change, probably the emotion of Brian's birthday that day. Like I had skipped an entire day and booked our shuttle for the wrong day. And I was like, okay, no problem. Like I can get a, a new shuttle. And then I was like, oh my God, what if I did the same with the Airbnb? And I looked it up and sure enough, oh, I had no. Airbnb for the wrong day too. And so I panicked. I had a brief moment of like, oh my God, these guys are going to think I'm like not okay. Like they yeah. just trusted me. These other two adults have never traveled before. And They've just entrusted me with these three very young kids. We've been traveling overnight. This does not look good. This is day one of a two-month trip of all of these like ups and downs in different countries. Uh, this is not looking good right now. And yeah, I was like, oh shit, like we're gonna have to turn around. Like, I can't do this. What was I thinking? This is irresponsible. Um, so I had myself a little pity party for about a minute and then was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I was like, all right, worst case scenario, we stay in an airport hotel tonight. We take a cab, we take four cabs because there's so many of us. We'll figure it out. And so I did. I spent the next half hour making calls and figuring it out. Our luggage eventually came. We found another shuttle. We made it and then went from there. Yeah. This This trip, this two month trip had you I mean you went through the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. You were I know there Greece was in there. Yeah, we did. Yep. The Netherlands, Norway, Poland, 
Switzerland, Greece, Malta, we threw in uh, on a whim, Ireland and Iceland. That is amazing. Yeah. It <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. So the kids, the kids all celebrated a birthday while we were there. Addie turned one on a sailboat in Greece. Uh, Izzy turned five in Switzerland and Hudson had just turned three right before we left. Uh, it's just yeah. amazing. And the video, the video is out there. It's on a Facebook page. We'll link to it in the show notes, but it's amazing to watch what you went through. And, and there was a, a couple of really poignant moments out on the sailboat mm-hmm. where you talk about just the, the pride of having done it, like being very proud of yourself and not sure that you could do it. Um, talk about that moment a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, that was Addie's first birthday. Um, we booked, <laughs> I booked a catamaran to take us around Santorini, Greece. Um, and I had flown a friend of mine who's a videographer. I had flown him over to meet up with us because I knew I wanted to have a film made of at least a portion of this trip to remember this, to show the kids just how cool their lives are and how cool their mom is for planning this thing. And just some of the experiences that we, we experienced together as a group and the healing really that was taking place. Yep. And um, yeah, so we were... Throughout every country, I scattered some of Brian's ashes in the water or in a location that I thought was special. And Bray, the videographer, caught this moment of me scattering some ashes from the sailboat um, and celebrating Addie's birthday. In that moment, I just was really caught up and wrapped up in the fact that I couldn't believe that one year ago, prior to that moment, I was in that hospital just crying tears of anguish, giving birth to his daughter that he'll never get to meet. She'll never get to meet his, her dad, really not wanting, not wanting my life to be that way, not wanting that to be my experience, not wanting to just live in that deep, dark sadness anymore. And to go from that moment to now on a catamaran off the coast of Greece with my three beautiful, healthy, happy, well-adjusted children who had experienced the same trauma that I had, but we had found a way to come together and make these just beautiful moments and be laughing and sharing these experiences and living this adventurous life that we had had always lived and always talked about living. And here we were one year later finding a way to do it. It didn't look like it did before when Brian was with us, but we were finding our way of doing it now as a family of four. And it was just this powerful proud moment of, I made this happen. Like, this is all because of me, because of Brian, but in this moment, it's because of me. And it was just the most incredible moment, honestly. It's awesome. Yeah. And it was so well captured. I mean, I think Bray, is it? Yeah. He did such a good job. Um, and, it, and it's so, I don't know, it's just so moving. The whole video is moving for me around what you were going through and, and, um, so number one, I'm honored to know you because you're doing amazing <laughs> you. things. And, I, and it's a good segue for us to talk about. Um, you know, I was referred to Ashley or she was referred to me through a mutual friend. And this gentleman said, uh, Brian said, Ashley's got this amazing story to tell. She wants to go out and, and help other people kind of get through their own struggles and adversity. Yeah. And so as you move forward from here and you start telling the story and helping other people realize 
that, you know, not here to compare challenges in life, but as anyone goes through a challenge, how to get through to the other side, what are the messages you want people left with? Yeah, I just want people to feel like no matter what your set of circumstances are, there's a way through them. You just have to want to find the way and you have to give yourself the tools to find it. And it's not going to look the same for everybody, but the actions of getting there can. And I really think like we talked about that it's goal setting. It doesn't matter how big or how small, just give yourself the confidence by setting goals and taking those actions. And it's asking for help, even if it's not within your wheelhouse to ask for it, just accept it and understand that it's not necessarily just for you either. It's for the people around you wanting to help you. Um, And then finding your passion and doing things that make you happy and that um, give you kind of a purpose and a reason to move forward. And I just, I really want to share this message of, you know, this this is my experience and what I've been through and how I've worked through it. Um, And I just feel like other people can look at my set of circumstances and hopefully feel, you know, inspired and empowered to take their own and to put these action items into place to move through their own adversity. It's honestly my biggest goal. Yeah. You're doing amazing work right now, Ashley. It's very cool. What does building a bigger life mean to you now? What are you going to do with the kids and how do you, <laughs> like you said, you're building this dream life. Yeah. What does the bigger life look like for you? I mean, you know, what's funny is, is everyone kind of asks that while I was on the trip, in fact, I was doing, you know, some, some press interviews and podcasts and everyone's last question was, well, what's next? And I'm like, I'm not even done with this trip yet. Like how, I don't know. Um, I do have this like not external, but internal pressure to keep going now. And now that I have my confidence back and I feel like, all right, I say, I want to write a book. How do I do it? okay, I did it. I'm going to write another book. Okay, that's done. So, you know, honestly, now my biggest problem is thinking of like, what's <laughs> what's bigger and better now. Yeah. And um, yeah, so now I've got two books almost out. I have, I helped the kids write a book. Uh, I had a documentary just released this Wednesday. And from here on out, it's just really busying myself with projects that help me spread my message and give other people, um, you know, the opportunity to kind of look at, at their set of situation or circumstances and looking to connect with anybody and everybody that I can to share, you know, share this journey that we're all on. Everybody's on a different path, but we're all trying to make our way. So building a bigger life for me looks like kind of doing what I'm doing, making my kids laugh, having a lot of travels, doing speaking engagements, kind of cool. where things go. You're doing some really cool things to, to continue honoring Brian too. What, talk, talk about those. Yeah. So the documentary that just came out, um, it's a, a, an educational documentary. It's about 35 minutes long and it's all about the human factors uh, as they relate to diving accidents. Um, and that was where I shared Brian's story before his dive, the contributing factors that ended up in his, uh, resulting in his death. Um, and then every year we do a memorial dive. I put together a memorial dive this year, since I wasn't able to be in Hawaii for it. Um, to back backstory a little bit last year, I had a, um, living reef memorial made from his ashes and had it flown to Hawaii and we placed it on the ocean floor. 
Um, and it's turned into, you know, the local habitat. So now I was telling you this morning, there's fish swimming in it. Last year as I dove it, there was an eel living in it. Um, and I, I wasn't able to go back this year because of, of the coronavirus travel stuff, but I did put together a memorial dive and I had divers around the world diving on Wednesday, um, just paying their respects to Brian and to this life that he lived and the sport that he loved. Um, I dove in the Puget Sound with my dive team and frigid waters, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, all of this is because of him. It's really to promote this legacy of living a life with no bucket list, instead set goals and then take the action, uh, actions to make those goals happen. Don't, don't hope and don't wish, um, instead set goals and, and do the things that you want to do. It's so inspiring. I love your story. I love what you're doing with it. Um, your kids are super lucky, <laughs> super lucky to have you as the mom and, and this, uh, like adventure champion and badass you know, <laughs> life warrior, basically. I make them call me prank master. Actually, we do a lot of pranks around here. Prank so master. I'm- yes. I love that. I love that. Um, but having fun, you definitely bring a lot of fun and joy to the world. And that's, that's so cool and so needed. How do people find out more about you, Ashley? Where can they go? Yeah, they can go to my website, ashleybuggy.com. Uh, or you can find me on Facebook uh, at ashleybuggyxo. Um, on Instagram, ashley.buggy. Yeah, I'm out there. I'd love to connect with, honestly, with anybody, everybody. It'd be awesome. Yeah. She's an amazing speaker. Got a great story to tell if you're interested in having someone come tell a very motivating, uh, inspiring story that will touch a lot of people. Check out ashleybuggy.com. It's A-S-H-L-E-Y-B-U-G-G-E.com. And um, Ash, thanks so much for being on the show, for telling your story, for being who you are. Um, I I hope my daughter gets to be a badass like you someday. She can come to my summer camp. Maybe I'll start a summer camp. I someday. love that. Teach her to dive. Oh my gosh, she'd have so much fun. You do cool tie dye like you're you're what you're yeah, today. Yeah, tie dye by Ashley Buggy. I love it. I love it. You're so cool. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks, Adam. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Every one of my interviewees has certain things in common, which I've summarized in the blueprint available at buildabiggerlife.com. It contains the nine core tenets extracted from each of the past interviews and will get you started building your own version of a bigger life. If you liked what you heard on the show, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Until next time.